Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We are in this series about walking with God. How do we walk with God? And we, first of all, established a principle that is stated three times in God's Word where it says that God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So that means if we walk in pride, God says He's going to oppose us, He's going to resist us, He's going to draw a battle array against us, and we're not going to move forward in walking with Him if we have sinful pride in our life. But if we will walk with a humble heart and have humility of spirit, then we will walk with God and we will have and experience the greater grace of God. That was the first thing we did was to establish that principle that's said three times in God's Word. The next thing we did is we took a test. you remember that? So Because I felt like some of us didn't think we had any problem with pride, so we simply took a test. And the test was from that parable that was spoken by Jesus about the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee is the example of pride and the public an example of humility. And there are four characteristics about pride and four characteristics about humility. Pride would not admit it has a need. If it ever does admit it has a need, it it believes it can meet its own need. It views others with contempt and is more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. And we flip that over. The publican was the example of humility and it's the opposite side of the coin. Humility readily admits that it has a need. It realized it cannot meet its own need. It views sin and self with contempt, not somebody else, and is more interested in what people think, in what God thinks, and what people think. Pride, I think I said it backwards, is more into what people think than what God thinks. Humility is more into what God thinks than what people think. All right, so that was the test. And I don't know about you, but when I take that test, every time I take that test, I'm convicted in my heart that I have issues of pride. I have some things in my life that I need to deal with, which means that God would oppose me. God would resist me. Well, we move from there to find out how do we have victory over this pride that we struggle with. And we went back to those passages in James chapter 4. It's the first passage we looked at where it gave us that principle, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we found out a number of things about that. We found out that we have a three-headed monster that we have to deal with. That is our sinful nature, the world in which we live, and also old Satan, who's constantly trying to push us towards living a prideful life. We realize that there is a power that will overcome the enemy and overcome pride in our life, and that is if we submit to God and allow Him to be Lord over our life, and as in that submission, He'll sit on the throne of our life, He'll protect us and direct us. We also found from that passage three glorious promises. You remember that? If we resist the enemy, he will flee from us. If we will draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And if we'll humble ourselves, in due time, God will exalt us. That was from the book of James. Then we moved last week to this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. The first part of that is to learn some other principles regarding how to walk with God. And one of the main things that we saw in relationship to that is that God teaches us and tells us that we need to humble 
ourselves. We don't pray for God to humble us. He can certainly humble us. But we humble ourselves before Almighty God and that God will exalt us. That's one of the things that we have to learn to do is how to humble ourselves that God will exalt us. Well, I want us to move on in that passage today and pick up where we left off because he's going to teach us about how do we humble ourselves. We don't just talk to ourselves, I'm going to be more humble, I'm going to be more humble, I'm going to be more humble. That's not going to make you humble because all you're doing is focusing on yourself, which is pride, right? So, so we're not going to sit in a corner just talking about how humble we need to be and keep asking about being humble. How do we humble ourselves? Well, he tells us here in 1 Peter chapter 5, how can we humble ourselves? Well, read it with me. Beginning in, I want to begin in verse 5 again, and we'll pick up there. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Remember, that was putting on the apron of servitude, just like Jesus did. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble, here's that word, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. There's that promise that he may exalt you at the proper time. So you hear what he says, humble yourselves. Well, Pick up from there, and he will tell us how we are to humble ourselves. And I want you to understand that it fits right into that definition that we gave in the, in the parable about the publican. Remember those four characteristics of humility? Humility admits it's got a need. Humility readily admits it can't meet its own need. Humility views sin and self with contempt rather than viewing others. And humility is more concerned about what God thinks than what man thinks. Well, it's interesting how God's Word, even though that's something that was said by Jesus, now James or Peter, they're going to turn around and they're going to speak about that. It follows right in line with what he said. So here in Peter, he's going to tell us about how to humble ourselves, and it fits into those four categories. What's the first thing he says we have to do? Verse 7, listen. Casting all your anxiety or care upon him. Casting all your cares or anxiety upon him. Here's the first thing. The first thing in order to humble yourself, you have to cast your cares. You have to cast your cares, cast your anxiety. Cast those cares and need of your life. Now, what does that fit into? That fits in that very first characteristic of humility. Humility readily admits it has a need, right? It readily admits it has a, it readily admits it has a care of life. It readily admits it has an anxiety in its life. Humility says, I've got something that troubles me. I've got something that bothers me. I've got a struggle in my heart, in my life, and I'm going to cast that I'm going to cast that on because I have this need. I have that need. Do any of us in life, especially in, in the recent days we've been living in, do any of us in life think that we have no cares or anxieties? Man, if you don't have anxiety, you must be living in Mars or on Mars somewhere. Because, I mean, everything in the world is all about being anxious, right? It's about where you are and what you do and what's going to happen and what's going to be next and all those cares of life. Some people are so concerned because there's not going to be college football possibly. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
they're, I mean, on talk radio and sports talk radio, that's all you hear about. I think they're going to climb the walls and jump off the building if they don't have it. We have so many cares of life, far more important things than that, amen? But there are cares upon us and cares upon us and cares upon us. But what does humility say? Humility says if you're going to humble yourself, you cast away that care. And in order to cast away that care, you've got to admit that you have it. You've got to admit that it's in your heart. It's not something that you're hiding, something you're trying to carry, something you're trying to meet your own need. You've got to be willing to admit, I've got this need, I've got this anxiety, I've got this care in my life that I have, and I want to cast it away. I have a need. Well, the second thing was that humility admits it has a need and it cannot meet its own need, right? It cannot meet its own need. So what does it say right here? Look at verse number 7. Casting all your anxieties or cares upon him. Upon him. In other words, who is him? God, right? Who is him? Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Who is him? The one who's able to meet every need. In other words, what we're supposed to do is we're saying, I have a need, I have a care, and I can't meet my own need, so I'm going to give it to Jesus. I'm going to give it to God Almighty. I'm casting my cares upon him. I'm casting my anxieties, my needs upon him. I have a need, now I'm giving it to him. Now, a lot of us will admit that we have needs, okay? And we'll worry about it. We'll worry about it. We're, we're going to talk about it. We're going to think about it. And all these things are going to happen. But it's not enough just to, humility doesn't say you just have a need. It says that you realize you can't meet your own needs, so you're willing to give it to somebody else who's God. Amen? And that's what has to happen. Humility says, I can't meet my own need, and so I'm going to give it over to God. I'm going to cast it upon Him. I'm going to give it over to Him. Have you done that lately? That's humility. That's what humility is. I can't do it, Lord. No use in me carrying it. No use in me worrying about it. No use in me trying to meet my own need because I can't meet it. I'm going to give it over to you. I'm serious. Have you been doing that or have you been carrying your own burden? You've been carrying your own burden. Well, that's not an honorable thing to do. That's your pride when you're carrying your own burden. He says, don't carry your burden. Cast that burden upon him. Cast that burden upon him. That is what humility says I will do, that I will give that need over to him so he can meet that need. Now, the beautiful thing about that word, cast upon him, it doesn't mean to just cast away. It doesn't mean to cast around. It doesn't mean just to throw it off of you, but specifically it means to throw it off of you onto him. So that he can meet your need. A lot of us do casting when we're worried about something, don't we? We cast it to our neighbor. We cast it to our spouse. We cast it to our children. We cast it everywhere. It's not enough to cast it. It says to cast it upon him who's able to meet that need. You got that? Now, are we ever guilty of that sometimes? We talk about what we care about, but do we cast it upon him? And that's not something that just happens by osmosis. It happens because you choose to do it. You choose to say, 
I'm not going to carry this burden. I'm not going to be burdened by this anymore. I'm going to give this over to him. I'm going to cast it upon him directly. That's what humility says. That's what humility does. So humility admits it's got a need. It realizes, God, I care, our anxiety life. Humility says, I'm going to give it to somebody who can meet that need, and that's God Almighty. A third thing, it says that humility cares more about what God thinks than what people think. Listen to what it says in this passage of verse 7. Casting all your anxieties or cares upon him. Listen now. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. You know what humility says? I want to focus on what God thinks. I want to be focused on what God thinks. And what does the Word of God tell us right here? That God thinks, and we need to know, that He cares for us. He loves us. He has a love that moves Him to action. That He is interested in everything about our life, no matter how big it is or no matter how small it is, no matter what somebody might feel insignificant. He cares everything about us. It means to view someone or some object with affection. When he looks at you and me, he looks at us with affection. He really does care for us. Not just to save us eternally, not just that he died on the cross so we won't have to go to hell and get to go to heaven, and all that's true, but he actually cares about everything in our life. There's nothing so insignificant that he doesn't care about and that he's not ready to meet the need of when you cast your care upon him and whenever you'll start focusing on God rather than focusing on yourself or somebody else and you really focus on God and understand just how much God loves you cares for you and what God is there to do for you it'll radically change your life see there are other people who care about you I hope in this world you got family your mama your daddy your sisters your brothers your children something People will care about you, but the difference between God and them is that God's all-powerful, and God can do something about it. Sometimes we can't do anything about what our, our loved ones are facing other than hold their hand and hug their neck. We need more than hugging necks and holding hands, right? We need somebody to take care of the needs of our life. And who can do that? God Almighty. God Almighty. And remember that He cares for you. Humility is focusing on what God thinks. So those three things, he says, hey, you got to admit your need. you got to cast it. you got to cast your cares away. you got to give it to the one who can meet your need. You can't meet your own need. Cast it upon him. And to remember what God thinks about you, he cares for you. Well, there's a fourth thing, though, remember? Pride viewed others with contempt. Where humility views sin and sinfulness in our own lives and also the source of sin and the old adversary would view it with contempt or him with contempt. In other words, don't look down your nose at anybody else, but if you want to view somebody with contempt, view the old adversary with contempt. And that's what he says right here. Learn who that adversary is, old Satan, right? He's the adversary, and you need to view him with contempt. You need to despise him. You need to let old Satan know right now that he is not your friend. 
you are not one of his fans, and that you literally despise him. And that's what Peter says. If you're going to have a humble heart and you're going to walk in humility, experience the grace of God, and walk with God, you're going to have to, through that humility, understand the enemy and oppose the enemy. So he spends some time talking about that enemy. Listen to what it says here in verse number 8. Here's what he says. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Let me put that in our terms, okay? It means this, get serious, get serious about spiritual warfare. Get serious about the fact that there's an enemy out there who's battling you, trying to hinder you. Get serious about it. Now, if you, if you knew that there really was an enemy out there that you were about to walk out this door, you'd be very serious about how you left here, wouldn't you? You'd be very serious how you approached that enemy. Well, he says you need to be serious about this matter of the enemy, and you need to realize that the enemy is your adversary. You realize the enemy is against you, and you need to be serious about it. And he says, be alert. Wake up. <laughs> That's basically it. Wake up. Open your eyes, open your mind, understand that there is an enemy out there. You need to be serious and you need to be alert. Now, what does he say about this enemy that we have? Look there in verse 8. This enemy is your adversary. Your adversary. Now, do you know what the word Satan means? You've heard Satan before, right? Satan means adversary. Someone who's going to oppose you. His very name, Satan means adversary. He is not for you. He will never be for you. He has no inkling for you. There's not one good thing about him, not one good intention he has in his mind towards you. Do not think any other way about him that that other than the fact that he is your adversary. He is an enemy who is out to get you. Be serious about it. Wake up. Be serious about it. Wake up. He says, your adversary, then he uses the other word we hear, the devil. And who's the devil? The devil means a slanderer. The slanderer, the one who speaks against you, the one who speaks against truth, the one who speaks against God. And everything that comes out of the mouth of of the old devil is slander. It's something that's going to try to tear down you, God, witness, the church, whatever it is, He is the devil, the slander, all right? So you need to realize and understand that he's out there, and you need to, listen, view him with contempt. Not view other people with contempt. Don't be looking down your nose at anybody else. View the old enemy with contempt. Despise him. Have nothing to do with him. Resist him in every way. Understand his intention towards you and your family. You need to realize that. Well, so much of the music that Kevin was talking about and saying today goes right along with this message, doesn't it? I mean, when it talks about that, that the old enemy is trying to pull us down, but thank God we have the victory without the old enemy. What the old enemy intends for evil, the God we serve is able to turn that into something good, amen? But everything the devil towards us, he intends for evil. Not good at all. So listen to how he describes him. Listen there in verse number 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, here it is. He prowls about like a roaring lion. Prowls about like a roaring lion 
seeking someone to devour. Now that's the way he describes the old enemy. Let's talk about that. First of all, it says he prowls about. He prowls about. That's the picture of of the the lion or or the, the one that would be trying to find prey. And the old enemy, he is always stalking. He is always here prowling about trying to find someone that he can devour. He's never satisfied. He's always hungry. And prowling is always the fact he's looking someone to devour. The old devil, he does not rest. You understand it? He does not rest because he knows his days are limited and he's got to be busy in those days. And it says in the Word of God that he becomes busier and more active as the day draws near for his demise and for his end. And so we know that he's going to get busier and busier, prowling and prowling about, that he might bring harm and might cause confusion and might do anything he can to hinder the children of God and the kingdom of God. And he's prowling about, always hungry, always looking, always trying to find someone that he might devour. You need to realize that. He is not for you. He is against you. He says he prowls about. Now, here's an interesting thing. Look in your Bible right there, and I want you to circle this word. He prowls about like, circle that word, like a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion. Now, the first thing I want you to know this is he acts like a lion. He acts like a lion. And, and he's a roaring lion. A roaring lion. Now, have you ever wondered about why, why do lions roar? Why do lions roar? Well, let, let me tell you what I've discovered whenever you think about why does a lion roar. The first thing, the reason a lion roars is because it's an expression of their pride. And their arrogance. They are the king of the. What is it? King of the what? King of the jungle. That's right. And so what do they do? They roar. And their roaring is to pronounce to everybody that they are the greatest, the strongest, the best. They are king. All right? Now. If you're something that's weak and be defeated and you're the prey of everybody, you don't run around hollering all the time, do you? That one that's weak, that one that is, uh, is going to be vulnerable to be attacked, they're always quiet and hiding and hoping nobody knows where we are because we're in trouble. Not the lion. He's roaring. He's roaring. It is a statement of pride and arrogance, literally, that he is afraid of no one. He is in charge of where he is. He watches over his territory, and his roar is that statement of his pride and his arrogance. There's a a second thing, though. You know what that roar does? That roar lets everybody know, any, any of those who are under his control, any of those in his community, it lets them know that he is protecting them and that they are safe. Anybody under, anybody under his control, they're, they're safe. He just, you know, you know in the lions, the, women, the, the female lions are the ones that do most of the work in hunting. I, I thought some women would say amen to that. What, what are you women doing? Are y'all sleeping? 
<laughs> the women do, the, the females do most of the work, most of the hunting. What do the men do? <laughs> they walk around roaring. <laughs> well, they're walking around roaring. They're, 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 their, jo- their job is to protect the group, protect the community. So they're roaring and letting everybody know. Did you know, did you know that a roar, a lion's roar can be heard for five miles? Five miles. So when they roar, they're, they're covering a five-mile area of letting everybody know and anybody know who's under their control, under their leadership, they're safe. Well, they've got them. Now, isn't that interesting? The old, the old devil's out. He, he's, he's roaring, too. He's roaring to state his pride and arrogance. He is so prideful and arrogant. He thinks he's in charge. He's the God of this world. He, he does so many things that are so evil, and it looks as though he wins a lot of time, and he's stating his pride and his arrogance. He, he's, he's roaring to let everybody know who's under his control, you're fine, you're okay, you don't have to worry, I'm watching over everything. The things of this world, he roars about that. You, you know, you know the, another reason they roar? A, a, a lion's roar has the ability to cause their prey, their prey to be literally paralyzed. To be paralyzed in a moment so that they can be devoured by the lion or attacked and defeated by the lion. They, they've studied the lion's roar. They have, a, they have a guttural sound that can't be heard by human ears. But it's such a guttural sound so low that it literally causes their prey to be paralyzed for a second to allow them to pounce upon them. So the roar is a means whereby they have an opportunity to paralyze those that they seek to devour. That's the roar of that lion. Boy, isn't that a picture of old Satan? Isn't that a picture of old Satan? Doesn't he try to disturb and, and to paralyze us here or there so that he can have a chance to, to jump on and, to, and to be, that we'd be his prey? It's, it's such a picture of him. And, and all that's because he's like a roaring lion. A roaring lion. You know, isn't it an interesting thing? Do you, know, do you know what the community of lions is called? It's called a pride. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that the community of lions be called a pride? Whenever in the Word of God it describes this old adversary we have as a prideful roaring lion who's seeking someone to devour. Wow. Why did I have you circle like? Because it says he's like a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion. He's not really. (laughs) He's not really. He's just pretending. See, that's all Satan ever is, is he's an old pretender. He's not anything. He's just an old pretender. He tries to mimic everything. He tries to pretend, he tries to pretend that he's God. He tries to pretend that he's God. Isn't that what cost him to begin with? He wanted to be God. And even though God cast him out of heaven and he he was banished and his judgment is upon him, and he can't be God. Ever since he's been cast out, he's trying to act like God. He's just trying to act like God. And, and, and that's, what he, that's what he's doing here. He's, he's like a roaring lion. 
I said, well, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, let me tell you, let me tell you a little story, a little, little funny story, and then I'll get back to that, okay? You like you need a funny story, like you're a little serious this morning. Like you got frowns on your face and stuff like that. A little boy named Johnny. Johnny had a problem. The problem is he just he he lied. He just lied. He, he can tell big, exaggerated lies. And his parents were very, very concerned about his lying all the time, and so they were gonna have to do something about it. So Johnny came in one day and he said, There's a lion out in the front yard. There's a lion in the front yard. And they ran out there and it wasn't a lion, it was the neighbor's dog. A child dog. It wasn't that they came in, they were so upset with Johnny. They told Johnny, said, Johnny, you go to your room and you pray. And you pray and you talk to God. And whenever you've prayed and talked to God enough, after you've prayed and talked to God and you've, you've gotten right with God, you come back out here and we'll, we'll talk to you. So Johnny goes in there and stays about 10 minutes. He comes back out. And they said, have you already prayed? He said, yeah, I t- talked to God. He said, what, do you talk to God about that, about, about that thing you said was a lion out there? And said, said, well, what did God say to you? God said, he said, well, the first time I saw it, Johnny, I thought it was a lion too. <laughs> That's kind of where old Satan is. He tries to look like a lion, doesn't he? And most of us are about like Johnny. We saw it the first time. We think he's a lion, but he's not. Because you heard that song? What was that last song that Kevin sang? There's the lion of Judah. There's only one lion. That's the lion of Judah. He's the real lion. And let me tell you something. Whenever the lion of Judah shows up, the old, like a roaring lion, Satan, is going to look like a pussycat. Amen? It's going to look like a pussycat. And he's going to be no more lion than that dog was that Johnny saw. Because when the real lion shows up, the real lion will put the fake lion in place. But hold on a second. That's going to happen. But here's the reality with you. If you let him be a lion to you, and you see him as that lion to you, and you treat him like a real lion, he's going to have his way with you. You need to call him for who he is. He is a defeated foe. He has a sentence of eternal punishment upon his head. He was defeated at the cross. He was defeated at the resurrection. His days are numbered. And he has no, if you're a child of God, he has no claim to you. He has no right over any of you or any of your stuff. And anytime he is trying to interfere with you, he is trespassing. And he needs to be called what he is, a trespasser. And he needs to be banished. And he needs to be, as we were told in James, resisted. So what does it say right here? Look at verse number 9. Same theme, right? But resist him. But resist him firm in your faith. What do you do with a roaring lion? When he's like a roar, what do you do? You resist him. And the promise of God's word is that you resist him firm in your faith. Remember, that faith is based on the promises of God's word. And the promise of God's word was in James we saw... If you will resist him, he will flee. 
He has no opportunity. He has no option about that. The power of God's word and the power of God's promises overcomes the roaring lion every time. But you have to claim it and you have to resist him by being firm in your faith, believing the promises of God and sending him on his way. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be defeated. If we will walk in humility of heart, casting my cares upon him because he cares for me. And when the old enemy comes like a roaring lion, I don't have to worry about him because he cares for me. And he has the power to defeat the enemy. All I have to do is to claim the promise of God's word. Resist the enemy and he will flee from me. Now, if you let him, if you let him, he's going to be a lion to you all the days of your life. If you let him, he's going to constantly keep you in misery. He's going to keep you afraid because he roars, paralyzed sometimes because he makes a noise. He's going to make you feel like everything under his control is secure and that you are in trouble because you're having to deal with him. Listen, don't let that fake lion rule over your life when the real lion, the lion of Judah, sits on the throne of your heart. You don't have to let that happen. How do you walk with God? In humility of heart, resisting the enemy, and he'll flee from you. Firm in your faith because it's based upon God's promise. I'm tired of the old enemy looking like he's something. Aren't you? I think you ought to get up every day and just tell him you don't like him. Yeah, yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, I think you ought to get up every day and say, I just can't stand you. You know, I just can't stand you. And I, 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to being in the audience whenever he's cast in the pit. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. He's, he's harassed me enough. I can't wait to be there to applaud when he gets thrown in the pit. Amen? You're right. There's nothing wrong with feeling that way. We grieve whenever lost people will go to hell. But you should never, ever, ever grieve when the enemy is cast in the pit along with all those angels who followed him. That will be the day of real freedom. Until that time, you are free indeed because the truth, Jesus, has made you free. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.